This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Chapter 20, book of Revelation, chapter 20. And we'll just read a few verses. Uh, reading from verse 11 of Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Then I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, but the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I think that those are the most sobering words in the whole of the New Testament. If you walk the length and breadth of any of our high streets today, you can be certain that every one of your steps uh, is being viewed by somebody on CCTV. How many of you are aware that there's a CTV, CCTV camera just right outside our church here on a pole? Probably most of you never see it, but it's there. And it's moving all the time up and down the street looking to see what's happening. And so that's everywhere, isn't it? Go into any major store. And again, it's almost certain that somebody in some back room is watching monitors, watching your movements to see if you're going to nick something. And that's just the way that it is. Go through any airport and you will be checked. Your baggage, perhaps your body, uh, security checks are just ubiquitous. Uh, we just see them all the time. Uh, one particular trip I did, I counted how many times my hand luggage was checked, and it was six times, six different times. And sometimes, depending on the airport, uh, you may be photographed, you may have to submit to a full body scan, uh, there's biometric data on your passport, and all of this is to collect information. And you can understand there's reasons for that as to probably to keep the bad guys out. But nevertheless, it just seems to be uh, very intimidating many times when you're having to be searched. In fact, there's some countries, even if you're maybe transiting through them and you decide maybe you have four hours to spare, you maybe decide, well, I've got four or five hours to spare, I'll, I'll just go outside and, and get a taxi into town for a couple of hours and get a coffee. There's some countries, if you do that, you will be fingerprinted before you ever go out that door. Your smartphone, every time you tweet or send a message or Facebook or Instagram or any of the social media platforms, that almost certain, well, for sure, all the companies that run those will be checking them apparently for advertising purposes. But governments, K 
keep untold millions of messages that we send and inspect them and look at them and look for key words that might come through them. That's happening all the time. In fact, with your smartphone, they can, they can know within probably two meters of anywhere you are in the world if you carry a smartphone. It's kind of scary, isn't it, when you think about that? Our, our roads, our streets are, are, are littered with, with cameras today, trying to catch the unwary motorist and uh, see if you've wavered over a, a line and, and into the bus lane or whatever the case may be. And then again, you're fined. It's just everywhere you look and everywhere you go. Uh, sometimes you see a car parked along the road, and it's got a little camera looking out, and it's, it's looking at your, your, your number plate. And they've got the software then to know almost instantly whether you paid your tax in your car for that year. And that's just happening all the time. Throughout our whole lives, we're being numbered. You have a national insurance number. If you have a passport, you have a number. If you have a driving license, you've got a number. Even when you die, your very grave will be numbered. From the moment you're born to the day you die, you will be numbered and logged and observed. Now that may make us somewhat apprehensive, and I guess most people it does. It may be disconcerting to think that we're under continual scrutiny, even when we're not even aware of it, we're under scrutiny. And so the Orwellian society is well and truly upon us. Do you know that Great Britain right now is the most monitored people on the face of the earth? even worse than Russia and China, and that's saying something. And yet we hardly even think about it. But it's just there, always, always, always in the background watching. However, if you think that is scary, consider this for a moment. God hears every single word that we speak. Jesus said that men would give an account for every idle word that they speak in the day of judgment. Matthew 12, 36. Every single word. God sees every action we take. Revelation 20, 12. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And God knows every single thought that we think. Psalm 94, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. And we said in this morning in other contexts that on some occasions about Jesus that he knew their thoughts. He knew exactly what they were thinking. So not only does God know these things, but he records these things. He is the celestial bookkeeper. He records our whole life story is unfolding, and he's recording every action. Revelation 20, 12 and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Or to be more technically and biblically correct, the Lamb's book of life. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So the first thing we have to consider here is who are the dead, both small and great? 
These are the spiritually dead who now are eternally spiritually dead. And as every one from Adam until the second resurrection, everyone who has denied God, who has refused God, who has rejected Christ, every man and woman, they are the dead that will be judged out of the books. The setting for this <coughs> event is the great white throne of judgment in verse 11 that we read. The throne of judgment, this throne of judgment, the white throne of judgment is, is distinct and separate from the judgment seat of Christ that Paul talks about. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. The great white throne of judgment is for unbelievers. And for the unbeliever, there is no second chance they stand before God at the great white throne of judgment. You're not there to plead your cause. It's gone. You're there to find out why you stand condemned. The judgment seat of Christ is where we will stand as believers. Let me just remind you of this in Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> Excuse me. Romans chapter 14. Paul writes in verse 9, For to this end Christ died and rose again and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now he's writing to believers. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just over a little bit. Again, reading from verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, you're God's building. So obviously he's talking to believers, isn't he? According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is and if anyone's work which he has built on it endures he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire so the purpose of standing before the judgment seat of Christ for believers is to see what rewards we may or may not receive since the day we get saved and started to serve the Lord and done good works in His name and His behalf. They will be tested to see, to see our motive, to see why we did it, to see did we did it pridefully, did we did it in a boasting way, did we did it to be noticed by everybody, or did we did it humbly and reverently uh, and, and with passion, that will be tested. 
and hopefully we shall receive some rewards and there's, there's at least five crowns that's going to be handed out. Some, maybe, of our works will be burnt up as wood, wood high and stubble, but hopefully, thankfully, I'm sure, God willing, that some will remain and we'll be blessed uh, uh, by rewards. In 2 Corinthians 5, 5 <coughs> excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, again, verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what is done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. And so there is a judgment seat of Christ. Uh, in the Greek, it's the bema, it's the raised dias a place where Christ will sit and he will judge us to see what rewards we may or may not get. Not to see whether we're going to get to heaven or not. That's already been settled on earth, and it better be settled on earth, because if it's not, it's too late. Then we're going to the other judgment place. But it'll be for reward. <coughs> Excuse me. The great white throne of judgment is for unbelievers, for those who are spiritually dead and now are eternally spiritually dead. The Christ rejectors, the ones who did not want Christ in their lives, did not want anything to do with God, maybe even denied there was a God who went through all of their life. And believe you me, there are people who will go through all of their life and never receive Christ, never believe in God, and will go to a lost eternity and will appear before the great white throne of judgment. Warren Wearsby said about this, he said, this, in this court there's a judge but there's no jury, there's a prosecutor but no defense, a sentence but no appeal, no appeal. And so it's too late for all of that. For the one who stands at the great white throne of judgment, there's only condemnation. For the one who stands at the judgment seat of Christ, there's a great possibility of a crown and rewards. What a difference between the two. So what are the, the books? And the books were opened, and there was another book, which is the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. What are the books? Well, notice it's plural, the books. Well, some say, although we can't prove it, but some say one of the books would be the Bible. Uh, and that would be the evidence, if anyone needed it, that God had given revelation, that God had given light for those who wanted to see it, uh, that God had spoken for those who wanted to hear, and there it would be. And so we're fortunate in this land that we live in that we have such access to the Word of God. Well, we really have. We're fortunate. We're blessed. Not everybody has the same access as we have got. And so... It could be, we can't say for sure, it could be that one of them maybe, and that would be reasonable to think, wouldn't it? That God would have the Bible so that no man could say, well, I didn't know, there it is. I heard, I saw, I was told. <clears throat> John 12, 48, Jesus said, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And so it's reasonable, I suppose, to expect that maybe one of the books would be the Bible. But it may simply mean 
It may simply mean that every person has a book of his or her life that's been recorded and written by Almighty God. So that every act, every deed, every lie, every dirty action will be in that book so that man will not be able to say, see how good I am. No, look at the book. <laughs> look at the stuff that you did in the dark. Look at the things you did behind the back. Look at the front you put on, but secretly look how you were living. It'll all be recorded. Every man perhaps may have a book. So there'll be no argument, there'll be misrepresentation, there'll be no wiggle room, there'll be no weasel words, there'll be no spinning out of this. Every idle word, every action, every thought, every hidden motive, every scheme and plan of man will be subject to the full glare of God, to the light of God, the all-seeing, all-knowing, omniscient God. There'll be no clever barristers to fight the case. Nobody will get off on a technicality. Don't you hate it when the guilty get off on a technicality? It seems so unjust and unfair. That will not happen at the great white throne of judgment. There'll be no higher court to appeal to. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? says in Genesis 18. You see, for God to be a just God, there has to be a great white throne of judgment. And God is a God of love. God is love, the Bible says. But he's a just God, and he has to be just. Because mankind cries out for justice. We, we want justice. Well, if God was to give every one of us justice without mercy, we wouldn't be standing at all. But he is a just God. And so, for every right, for every wrong to be righted, for, for the... Every scale that's unbalanced has to be set right. You see outside the courts of justice, you see the lady standing with the scales, and they have to be balanced. There has to be a balanced everything for every crime to be punishment, to be punished for the punishment to fit every crime. There has to be a great assize for the untold millions of babies that have been aborted. For the untold millions of innocent men and women that have been slaughtered. There has to be justice. For the victims of genocide, of ethnic cleansing, of rape, of abuse, being battered, being murdered, being blown up, there has to be a final fair day of reckoning. Because this life is so unfair. There's people going through our courts in this nation at the moment. And some of them are already dead before they've got a final <laughs> justice. And they're crying for justice. Why won't the government give us justice? They may never get it in this life. But justice will be meted out in, this, in the next life at that particular uh, place of judgment. J.I. Packer, he says, Why do men fight shy of the thought of God as a judge? Why do they feel the thought to be unworthy of him? The truth is that part of God's moral perfection is his perfection in judgment. Would a God who did not care about the difference between right and wrong be a good and admirable being? Would a God who put no distinction between the beasts of history, the Hitlers and the Stalins, and his own saints, be morally praiseworthy and perfect? 
Moral indifference would be an imperfection of God, not perfection. But not to judge the world would be to show moral indifference. The final proof that God is a perfect moral being, not indifferent to questions of right or wrong, is the fact that he has committed himself to judge the world. God has a right to judge this world. Absolute right. And thank God he will do that, because then there will be true justice. A.T. Pearson said, His wrath is not impetuous and changeable passion, but an eternal and unchangeable principle. I'll say that again. His wrath is not an impetuous and changeable passion, but an eternal and unchangeable principle. Packer again says, The entire New Testament is overshadowed by the certainty of a coming day of universal judgment and the problem thence arising. How may we sinners get right with God while there is still time? And time is running out, folks, isn't it? It is drawing close to the Lord's return. So who will be the judge on the great white throne? We know that Jesus will be the judge when it comes to his throne for believers. On the beam of the dais, Jesus will be the judge. He will be judging us regarding rewards. But he also will be the judge on the great white throne. He will be the one who will judge. 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in the kingdom. He writes in Romans 2.16, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. In fact, in Acts uh, 17, <coughs> excuse me, in Acts 17, uh, way down there in verse 28, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. This was the time when Paul was, was in Athens. Remember the time when he walked down the street and he saw all these statues to different gods and, and then there was one that says the unknown God and he began to explain, well, this is, let me tell you about the unknown God, the one you don't know about. Then he goes on uh, and he says, for in him we live and we move, we have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine natures like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, and he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead." And that's very patently, obviously, that's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who better to judge the world than the one whom the world judged? Who better to judge the world than the one whom the world judged? The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember how... Well, let me read these two verses. Verse 12, And another book was opened, which is the book of life, Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. In Luke 10, 20, 
Remember Jesus sent the disciples out, and they went out, and they cast out devils and healed the sick, and they came back, and they were rejoicing because the devils were subject unto them. But Jesus says, don't rejoice in that, but rather that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because your name is in the book. You know, just last weekend, we were, we were looking at the recording angel. Mm -hmm. and, and that whole scene of heaven's gates and hell's flames and those eight different scenarios that were played out and everybody in them died and some went to heaven some went to hell some names were in the book some names weren't in the book but we saw very clearly if your name was not in the book then you were eternally lost your name had to be in the book when the books are opened no one will be able to say, Lord, it's not fair. Hmm. No one will have an argument. It'll all be written in the books. It'll be plain to see that Christ was not received, the debt was not played, the blood didn't atone for them, the old account was not settled, sin was not blotted out. There could only be one outcome, guilty as charged. Only the redeemed have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Paul writing in Philippians chapter 4 verse 3, he says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Revelation 21, 27. But there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven would not be heaven if there's a part of hell in it. It wouldn't be heaven. Heaven would not be heaven if it was full of rebels against God. It wouldn't be heaven. So only those who put their trust in Christ only of those who believed in God in the Old Testament was accounted to them for faith before Christ came. Only those will be in the book of life. <coughs> Revelation 13 and 8. All who dwell on the earth shall worship him, the beast, that's the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from before the foundation of the world. Revelation 17, 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. There's only one way to avoid the condemnation of the books. And that is to repent of our sins, to plead for God's mercy, to renounce our sin and receive our Savior, Jesus Christ. And there will come a day when it will be too late to do that. The Bible says, today while you hear his voice, don't harden your neck. Because we do not know how long we have got. We do not know when we step out that door, what lies ahead? We just don't know. We just don't know. Then a person goes out for their day's work, kiss their wife goodbye, never return. 
Didn't think that would happen, but it did. So we got to be ready. We got to be ready, because if we're not, then one day it'll be too late. The court will sit, the judge will be on the throne, the size will be opened, it'll be read out, and we'll be forever condemned. And that day will come, and for some it will come too soon. It'll be too late. You know, over the years, I've had the privilege of leading many, many people to Christ in hospital beds or in their home when they were dying, but there was some who did not repent. There were some who just did not repent. Until their dying breath, they would not repent. And as far as I can see, they'd gone into a Christless eternity. And it's horrible, it's terrible to think that. But that's the way it is. I told you before about this farmer. We'll close with this. He decided to challenge the God of Christianity. And he had the idea of deliberately working on Sunday, which traditionally is the Christian day of rest and worship. And after the September harvest, he wrote in his local newspaper, I plowed that field on Sunday. I sowed the grain on Sunday. I reaped it on Sunday. And I made a greater profit on that field than any of my other fields. The editor contented himself with this one-line response. God doesn't settle his accounts in September. <laughs> God is very patient. Not willing, Peter says, that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the reason why we could sit here tonight if we're not saved is because God has been gracious and he's been merciful, and he's allowed you to live to this point. That's the grace of God. But one day it'll be too late. One day it'll be over. And it'll be gone. And there'll be no return, and there'll be no second chance. We saw in the drama that was played just last week, how that some, when they got to heaven... They thought, well, that's it. I'll, I'll believe now. One of the young women said, I'll believe now. Well, you could not believe, and you see it. Don't need any faith for that. But it was too late. The Son of Man, the Bible says, has power on earth to forgive sins. On earth. That's the only place we can be forgiven. On earth. Right now. Today is the day of salvation. So where do you stand tonight? Are you going to be in the books? Or is your name going to be in the book? If it's in the books, then you'll be condemned. And you'll know the reason why. And you will have no argument. But if it's in the book, the book of life, the last book of life, then you are forever eternally secure in Christ. He'll take you with him forever. <laughs> what a wonderful promise of God. Get your name in the book before it's too late tonight. Can we pray?
know many of you, but I, I wouldn't dare to presume for those that I don't know, I wouldn't dare presume what your position before Christ is tonight. He knows that and you know that. But never, ever, ever again will you ever be able to say, I didn't know. Now you know. But once you know, then you've got to choose. You've got to make your mind up. got to do something about it. And we saw during last week quite a number of people who made that choice and that decision for Christ and says, yes, yes, I'm going to choose today for Christ. I think of Anne's precious father, elderly gentleman. He was in the wheelchair at the back. Now, he didn't come up because he was in the wheelchair. But afterwards, he says, I prayed that prayer. I prayed, when that man prayed, I prayed that prayer. And I was telling me this morning, the change in his life already has just been tremendous, isn't it? And that's a sign, you see, that, that something happened. Something supernatural, that the light of God shone into his heart. And he received Christ. And he's going on with God. My, my own father was 75 when he received Christ. I buried him two years later, and he never looked back. He read the Bible through from cover to cover. He'd got it. He'd got it. So where are you tonight? What's your position? We're going to pray in a moment, and if you want, if you want your name to be in the book of life tonight, not in the books, but the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. In your heart and mean it. Just mean it. And just make this your prayer. You can change the words if you want. Say it in the way you want to say it. But the point is that you pray and you believe. The Bible says if we believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And we confess that with our mouth then we shall be saved. For it's with the heart man believes but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if you want to receive Christ tonight, just where you sit, in your seat, then I want you to pray this with me. And trust that Christ hears you and believes and you're sincere in what you say. He says, he that comes to me, I will never cast away. He'll receive you tonight. So will you pray this with me tonight? Here we go. Oh God, I come before you tonight realizing that I am a sinner and I need to be saved. I need your forgiveness. I need to be cleansed from all of my sin. Lord Jesus, you died for me on that cross. You shed your blood. You gave your innocent life for my guilty life. And so right now, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Come into my heart today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And give me the assurance and peace in my heart that I want and need. 
that I truly am your child. And from this moment, help me to live for you from this day forward, a new creature in Christ. And I praise you and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.